get in with your consultant and get in on the ground floor. You know, when you when you're looking at a deal, um, talk to them. Um, we'll do estimates. So if you're looking at a deal uh, to develop, we can do uh, tax estimates for you to project in future years. Um, you know, just with given the the right information, you know, of construction costs and uh, when you plan to start, completion dates and such. And then so that way, when you're going into a deal, you're better able, you're more prepared. There's no surprises on property taxes. Um, you know, you have an idea of where that's coming in uh, just because that's going to be your biggest line item expense and on ownership of a building. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to affect your your net operating income the most as well. Welcome to the Placemaking Podcast. Podcast. The show geared at helping real estate developers learn and understand important aspects of the development process while improving communities one at a time. Each week, we'll discuss major facets of the real estate development process with industry professionals. Now, here's your host, Matthew Lowe's. Hello and welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining the show. There's a lot to learn in this episode, so stay tuned. Alex Pace is a very good friend of mine and property tax advisor at Strategic Property Tax Advisors. On top of that, in his free time, he's also a real estate broker. His insight into tax advising is second to none. He is truly a student of the craft and constantly stays apprised of current tax laws and legislation. With over 10 years of tax consulting experience, he brings a wealth of knowledge on the subject. Firm he works with, Strategic Property Tax Advisors, has an expertise focused solely in commercial real estate. Strategic has a thorough understanding of commercial real estate complexities and will work as an integral part of your team regarding property tax appeals, procedures, valuation, and even litigation support. In this episode, we're going to discuss the type of taxes a ground-up real estate developer might expect, what are some ways that developers could help to hedge their real estate tax burden, and what is so great about depreciation, and how can it be included in your overall tax strategy. So, as always, if you enjoyed the show, Please subscribe to the show and share with your friends. There will be more exciting conversations on the shows to come. So without further ado, let's start the show. Hey, Alex. Welcome to the show. I, I gave you a, a little introduction before before you got on the call, but why don't you go ahead and give us a little bit about your, your experience and background? Uh, right out of school, I actually went and started working at America Honda Finance Corporation, Realized I hated it. Um, <laughs> didn't know what an appraisal district was until they gave me a call because they came across my resume. So nine months after starting at Honda, I found myself at the appraisal district um, in Dallas. And yeah. so there, I worked there for about three and a half years, um, four appeal seasons. And then um, after that, I moved over to the private side and became a consultant, you know, representing now the <clears throat> the owners of the real estate. And getting those taxes, those values lowered, so they pay less in taxes. Gotcha. So, what, what's your background in school? Uh, went to Texas Tech. Uh, got a finance degree, and that's why I thought America Honda Finance Corporation was gonna be the place for me. 
but then I just really want to get into real estate and use that finance background in real estate and valuation. You mentioned real estate and I, I mentioned you're also a realtor. So how did, how did that come about? How did your love for real estate blossom? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It just kind of, you know, once you get in, you just want, when you find something you want and that you like, that you love, you just want to do more of it. So, uh, and I actually just got my officially a broker now. Oh, so, uh, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So 2020, um, had my own brokerage and I also have my own property tax company as well. Wow. So, big, big year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it. So did uh, any of your family growing up have real estate or was it just you stumbled across it and just kind of fell in love or kind of the black sheep of the family? Um, <laughs> you know, um, I got come from a family full of attorneys, you know, uh, my twin brother went to law school. My dad went to law school. Cousin went to law school. Godfather went to law school. Everybody went to law school. And uh, no, so I found myself in real estate. I will say, though, uh, my grandma was a realtor. Okay. And uh, so and there's a little bit of real estate, I guess, in there then. So but mainly lawyers. (laughs) Gotcha. Well, I mean, you're you're not too far off. I mean, (laughs) you're still dealing with all the legalese that comes along. Oh, yeah, definitely working hand in hand with attorneys. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. So you started off at Honda. What did that look like? What, what was your role there? Man, what are they doing? You know, looking at the value of leases, um, buying them back, selling them to dealerships. It wasn't fun. It wasn't fun. <laughs> Real so exciting stuff. <laughs> that was, yeah, not even a car guy. I'm a real yeah. estate guy. So. I knew kind of right away. I just went, you know, it was the biggest company. You know, you come out of college and, you know, you think the world is is easy, life is easy, and then you get out there and like, wait, this isn't right. Got to work hard, and uh, so you might as well work hard on something you love. And uh, real estate was just something I was drawn I was drawn to, and it's always changing, um, growing, and it's fun. <laughs> so how did you get? You said you kind of stumbled into to the appraisal side. Uh, how yeah. <laughs> describe that stumble? Um, you know, I don't even know how it happened. I gave my resume out to a guy that was a mortgage uh, broker and, you know, but I had just gotten married right out of school. Couldn't take a full commission job. I needed some some stability. And so the appraiser actually came across my resume and called me up. And okay. so I said, OK, yeah, I'll come in for an interview. Quickly Google Dallas Central Appraisal District. What is this? Uh, oh, went okay. in for the, yeah, <laughs> I went in for the interview and. Uh, the last thing that was said to me when I left is, if you if you join us, you'll learn about a lot about every sector of real estate, you know, every property type of real estate. Mm-hmm. Said so that's what I want to do. And then a month went by without me hearing from them. And I thought, well, didn't get that job. And then yeah. uh, sure enough, they called back, said, hey, when can you start? And I was like, uh, when do you need me? He said, right now. It's like, oh, finish up with a project at the end of the week and we'll do that. <laughs> well, that's so, cool. That's like you said, you got your feet wet in every type of real estate class imaginable yes. there. So you get exposed. a good foundation. Exactly. So kind of transitioning here, you work with property taxes right now in uh, in Texas. What type of taxes would a typical ground-up developer, uh, real estate developer, have to worry about other than you know, property taxes are, are big for buy and hold, but yeah, really it's the property taxes. Mm-hmm. And it's it's it starts right when 
<clears throat> right when you purchase the land because mm -hmm. there's going to be a deed transfer and depending on what state you're in um, Texas is a non-disclosure state so they're not going to know what you paid for it um, other states they will and so there's going to be a reassessment on that property so um, two thousand dollars isn't a good number yeah. <laughs> two dollars <laughs> <laughs> exactly so you know, as soon as you purchase that property, it's going to get reassessed, and you—that's why you're probably going to start seeing the increase in in val and uh, property taxes for your holding costs. Unless, of course, you know, tip, unless if you bought ag land, you're going to keep it in ag. You know, they they will reassess it. So when you when you do break ground on it, the rollbacks will be more after that reassessment. Luckily in Texas, those laws just changed. So now you're instead of it used to be seven um, percent interest going back five years. Okay. Um, now it's down to 5% interest going back three years. Developers so that's if you were, I guess let's, let's rewind just a little bit oh, yeah. for those that don't understand ag title for, for projects or for land. What, what does that essentially mean? So when you have um, land and an ag exemption, mm -hmm. uh, basically you pay close to nothing in taxes because it's being used for agricultural use. And so if they were going to tax you at the normal tax rate, no land would make sense having it to be ag land. So you get you pay next to nothing in taxes as long as there's cows, hay on there. You can even get away with a beehive. So, <laughs> um, but huh. you have to keep it active as ag. And so once it once you change the use of that land, though. So say you, a developer buys a piece of land that's that's an ag, that's an agricultural land. They're going to put up apartments. They buy the land. They'll keep the hay bales out there, keep farming it until they're ready to break ground. And so what happens once they break ground? They'll get uh, the use of the land is going to change with the assessor. And what they'll do then is they'll let the tax office know, and they're going to send out a tax bill where you got to pay five percent interest for each year. And then for three years back and pay those property taxes from the difference from that ag exemption to market mm -hmm. value. And so it can it can get up there. And so right. but one thing. So they just want to be conscious of that. You know, when they purchase the, the land, make sure they still keep it as low as possible. You know, the taxes aren't that much then it will go up once um, you roll it back. So is that you mentioned you break ground? Say you were to rezone a property, would that. Would that automatically trigger that? Uh, rezoning won't. Yes. Yeah. Rezoning it'll, it'll, it'll be once they um, start the dirt work. So holding costs are really right now, if other than mortgage or or a, a loan on the property, you have property tax. Is there any way that you could hedge that tax burden for your holding costs? Um, yeah, the best way to hedge it is really just to work with a local tax consultant that has time for you that knows the market that has those relationships because you don't want you know somebody that's working your property and you know 300 others they don't have enough time for you um mm -hmm. so you want somebody that's that knows the laws um starts with you once you but once you purchase the land um all the way up through development and lease up and then once they once you sell the asset and because they're gonna and when when you're doing that you're adding that um you know Tax loan's job is to add value to your project. So, um, you know, we want to want you to save you money, uh, pay the least amount of taxes legally possible. And so, to to hedge that, you, you need a consultant um, that has that time because, quite frankly, it's it's a seasonal seasonal deal. So it comes around once a year, 
So it makes more sense to hire someone that specializes in that than to hmm. take your time and to learn all the laws and the processes just to do it one time a year. So uh, to hedge it, yeah, hire a consultant because, you know, if they can save you um, $100,000 when it comes time, when you got that thing less, leased up, you're paying $100,000 than what you could be paying in property taxes, you cap that. You know, say, you know, for new, new construction, 5%, $100,000, you're saving, you're adding, you know, $2 million. And I want to check my math. Uh, <laughs> but um, that you're going to net at the end of the day when you go sell the asset because you're you going to be able to project a lower or sorry, a higher NOI to get mm-hmm. a higher valuation. Right. So going back to this consultant, how, what are you looking for as a, when, when you when you're searching for a tax consultant for a, a real estate developer? So, um, you know, I'm going to gear towards a, a local. Uh, so someone that lives in the state, mm-hmm. uh, someone that's familiar with the, the laws and the assessors. And it's going to so say I'm you know the tax director. I'm going to take we're working properties in Texas. I'm going to find, I'm going to look for who do, a consultant that one has the capacity for me, has the time for me. Um, knows the markets, and I'm going to go there with them. Now, say they have an office in Denver, and we got projects going on in Denver, but you know, and I trust these people in, in Texas. Well, if they aren't, they aren't going to be the ones working the property in Denver. They might have a Denver office where those people are. Just because mm-hmm. you have some people in one city doesn't mean you have competent people in another city. So, <laughs> right. you know, so you want to interview everybody that's touching your properties. So, you know, if I'm talking to these people in Denver, I might say, you know what? I don't know if these are the right people for me. I'm going to look for another firm um, that's in Denver to help me out as the time and the capacity in that relationship. Because you want this person's an advocate for you. Um, so you want somebody that's going to go out, out to bat for you, fight for you, and you don't have to worry about it. Not someone that might just, that you don't, t- if you don't talk to them, there's probably an issue going on. And they that's probably true. aren't giving it their all because when you develop that personal relationship, that consultant's going to go that extra mile for you. Yeah, well, I guess going back to this as well, what does the fee structure look like? I'm sure it's different for different groups, but. Yeah, you know, and it also depends on states. Um, in Texas, um, we have a higher property tax. And we've got aggressive assessors um, and it happens every single year. So you might be looking somewhere around 25 percent to 20 percent contingency. That's, that's one of the good things about this business. It's all contingency based. Mm-hmm. So if we're not saving you money, then we're not making money. So we're incentivized to get the lowest possible value. Right. Now, if you, if you look at other states like Pennsylvania or New Jersey, um, there you're going to have to partner with an attorney. So they're going to have a higher contingency fee. You know, mm-hmm. it might be 33 percent or higher, uh, just right. depending on the assets and, and the group. And so, you know, one there's but there's groups that will do there for cheap, too. Um, I would just advise, you know, to. Kind of be wary of that because we all want to make around the same amount of money. So if the goal is a million dollars, somebody's working 200 properties, somebody's working 100 properties, you know, somebody would do it for 10,000, somebody would do it for 5,000. Mm-hmm. Well, the person that's working it for 10,000, they might be more expensive, but they have more time to go get a second, third, fourth bite at the apple to get as low as possible that the person that's, that's working point. 200 properties wouldn't. So, um, and you know, when you, and the NOI, you know, might might be washed, might just be a little bit more. But when you go to sell that asset and you, you can have a higher NOI because you had lower property taxes, 
you get that higher higher return, higher mm-hmm. RR. And so that'll help you raise money for your next fund, your next project. Gotcha. So I yeah, let's get back into what and, and you've touched on this already, but what you would do as a as a tax consultant for these real estate groups. So essentially your goal is to fight the assessment. Is there <laughs> I, I know there's more to it, but so uh, basically, well, we're in Texas, so Texas as the example. In Texas, the assessors are going to, for each county, are going to take a look at your property on January 1, and they're going to say, okay, what is this property worth on January 1? Now, <clears throat> that means as is January 1. If your house burns down technically on January 2, well, guess what? You're getting assessed as of January 1 when your house is there, not after it was burned down. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, so burn your house, before yeah. the, right? Not after right. the first. Right. Um, and so then um, they're going to send out a, a notice of a, appraisal on April 15th. And you're going to get a notice if your property value increased. If it decreased or stayed the same, you won't get a notice. But let's be honest. They'll just, they'll just assume <laughs> they're happy, especially when we're in a down market and they don't send out any notices. And they're just saying everybody's happy. All the values are flat. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But um, and then we have till May 15th to appeal the property. Mm-hmm. And so, or yeah, May 15th to appeal. It used to be May 31st. They moved it up two weeks. So once we file the appeal, they'll send out a, a notice of our hearing date. So it's called the appraisal review board, the ARB, and it's three to five to seven people, just depending on the county and the bigger counties, it's generally going to be three people that are generally retired, have a background in real estate. Some don't have a background in real estate, just depends on who they can get. Um, So it's kind of a crapshoot. So say you file the appeal May 15th and you get your hearing date and it's June 30th. You have until May 15th till June 30th to either one, work it out with the assessor um, or two, go to the board hearing. Mm. So we generally try to work out most with the assessor because they're doing mass appraisal. Um, there's not enough the appraisal district. They can't go out and assess every property, do it, do a full appraisal on them. Right. So they're going to pick an area. They have their sub markets and they're going to say, OK, for office buildings, we're going to do $20 triple net rents and for B class properties. And they're just going to kind of blanket this model. We're going and they're going to say we're going to do an expense ratio between X and Y and this cap rate. Mm-hmm. And they're just going to apply that model to all of them. So it's going to you're going to end up with a bell curve. So there's going to be some that are high. In our opinion, all of them are going to be high. And, <laughs> of course. Um, and then, but technically, they will have some that are lower and some that are probably just on if they do their mass appraisal correctly. Right. Um, and so our job is to get it as low as possible. And make sure that they're being treated. Your the buildings are each buildings in that submarket are being treated equally. So well, so no one has a competitive advantage. So then, say we don't work it out, we go to the appraisal review board and we get our valuation. They rule a, a value, and we'll get a notice from them saying, hey, this is your value. And then you ha- have the option to basically go to arbitration um, or you can litigate. And so if you disagree with their with their ruling, I always recommend to litigate just because you have right. more control. It's a little bit more expensive, but you have that control. Um, and so then we're recommending our clients whether they need to litigate or not and, you know, let them know, hey, this is going to be the cost of an attorney. This is 
you know, we think this is the value that we can get. This is going to be the tax savings. It makes sense. Generally in Texas, because we have a higher property tax, generally than most of the country, um, it's only going to take $500,000 in difference in valuation to make it profitable. So um, only half not, a million. Exactly. So <laughs> if, you're, wow. if you're not litigating on, especially on assets that are $10 million and plus, you, there's a good chance you're leaving money on the table. So uh, relationships so, are big. Yes, <laughs> relationships are big. Um, you know, and so you know, when you get into litigation, so yeah, it's good having a relationship with the attorneys. Also, just having relationships with appraisers, because mm-hmm. sometimes if you're button heads with the appraisal district and they don't want to cave, well then you got to go out and you got to get a third-party appraisal. And the funny thing about Texas too is, and we'll talk talk about it a little bit later, but uh, uh, it's equity, uh, meaning mm-hmm. that. In our tax code, you can't be assessed higher than competing properties. You know, there has to be ten percent. You know, after you make adjustments and such for size, rents, and and whatnot. And so, you can get an equity appraisal, which just basically compares you to competing properties, or you can get a typical market appraisal to prove mm-hmm. so. And then, one, if you do that, it kind of forces the appraisal district's hands where they have to move forward. Um, they'll have to pay for it. Um, their own third-party appraisal, and they generally don't have the budgets for that. Right. Uh, and so if they do, and then here's the thing too. So when they do that, you know, they're prepping for court. Well, because they're a government entity, if we go to court and say we lose, our client will have to pay their attorney fees. But if we, but and then the appraisal district will have to pay their attorney fees. But but typically we win. So I've never <laughs> lost. A- wow. So, um, if we go to court and we litigate, go to court, the appraisal district and we win, the appraisal district has to pay their attorney fees and they have to pay our attorney fees too. So it's so, a pretty terrible uh, deal. Yeah, exactly. So the, <laughs> they got a lot more risk than we do. Right. So, uh, which typically will lead to s- settlements instead of going to court. Gotcha. And so, um, and typically by that time, we're back at, uh, to the next year. And doing it all over again. <laughs> right. They see you the next week for next year's. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Interesting. So this kind of gets into a, a, another aspect. Can we go into a little bit of a detail about uh, what what's so great about depreciation and, and how that can affect your overall tax strategy? Yeah. So um, depreciation is great. So, you know, typically the older the asset you know, the more depreciation is going to be on there. So, and with that depreciation means the value is going down on a cost basis because with cost, you're going to look at the cost of the land, how much is this land worth, and then how much is it going to cost us to build it. And so with that cost, you have hard costs and soft costs. Soft costs, you know, your engineering fees, right? Uh, Architecture fees, the stuff that's not the materials uh, that your hard cost is. Your hard cost can be, you know, the foundation work, Paying contractors, um, you know, the, the roof, the steel, the wood, all of that. that right. Yeah, you actually can see, feel, and touch. And that is hard cost. You know, they're going to start depreciating in value, so they aren't as worth as much as they are on day one. So when you uh, the appraisal district, you know, they're going to look at how much would this co- uh, replacement cost now? How much is it going to re- cost us to replace it, the same structure today, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's going to be this. The basis of their cost, and then the, where the depreciation comes in is, oh, well, shoot, this this property is pretty, it's not in great condition. 
you know, um, it's pretty old. It's really a judgment game. And when it gets to that point, you can use, you know, kind of some cost tables, but which is what the assessors will do. Mm-hmm. You know, what we'll do is we're going to look at functional and economical obsolescence uh, to, in- to increase the depreciation on that property. So, yeah, you know, for instance, say you build, you got a industrial building that's got out of date, out of date equipment that's, you know, in there, um, that's bolted to the ground. So it's part of the building. We're going to say, Hey, this, this is, you can't even use this anymore. It's out of date. If someone's going to come out here, they're going to wipe it out. That should be, um, $0. You shouldn't be assessing us for that because it doesn't have any market value. Right. Uh, whereas the book value of that depreciation, you know, they might be depreciating it, say a thousand bucks a month and it started out a hundred thousand. 50 months into it, they might call it 50, but we're saying, no, it's, it's not economically feasible anymore. It's a thousand dollars. So they can go $40,000 right there to save in taxes. Wow. And then uh, functional obsolescence, you know, this, um, I had a, a case here where it's for an airlines and they built a uh, facility to train their people with flight simulators in there. Cost a lot of money. Oh right? yeah. I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, um, but really that has no market value. Um, and the cost is functional enough, um, economical obsolescence because say that we're going to go sell that building. Who's going to buy it? It's either another airlines or right. you're just going to have to wipe it out. And it's going to cost a lot to demolish that because with those things, you have to go so far into the ground to, uh, so that way they can maneuver correctly and not break. So to me, it might cost this throw out a number of $10 million for each one, but guess what? It doesn't really hold any value. So, right. so we're going to enhance that call on that depreciation part because it's not going to be feasible into a real market value for the property. And we're going to use that to lower the assessments for property taxes to save you money. Right. Right. So you're itemizing essentially. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So instead of like you were saying, the, the blanket assessment, of the building as a whole, which is what you know the the appraisal district does. You guys are itemizing each part of the building in its separate pieces to help got you get yeah. get a higher value of depreciation. Right? Higher value of depreciation, you get a lower overall assessment because the other appraisal district, it's, again, it's it's mass modeling. Mm-hmm. So uh, when you can go in there and just zero in on a property. Uh, pick it apart. Um, you know, we go look at a property. I don't want a proud property owner. I want you to tell me, hey, I see a crack over there. <clears throat> What's up with that crack? You got foundation issues? You know, I want to hear the bad stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and we go back to our discussion about picking a, a tax a tax consultant. You obviously don't want someone that is too lazy to itemize when it can end up costing you quite a bit of money. So I guess, is that a prerequisite for, for most consultants? Do they typically itemize for depreciation or is that? Depending on the asset, um, you know, if it's an income producing asset, um, so they're not going to, um, generally we're going to look at more market valuations and, and then, but if it is a, a property that's generally valued on cost, um, I'll say for an example, like a auto shop, right? Mm-hmm. And so those are going to be typically valued on cost. So 
So you, you want a consultant that has a time time for you, right? So within that is going out and doing a property inspection. You know, a property tax consultant should be able to go out and see every property that they that they manage uh, mm-hmm. for their owners. Uh, so that way, when they talk to the assessor, they can they can nitpick and show that they they've been there, they know the property inside and out, and uh, can help support that lower valuation by proving that they're the expert when you go in front of a an appraisal review board. Right. And that goes back to having someone local. This, exactly. This gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So how do you keep track of all the legislation? It seems like something new comes out every week. I see stuff online all the time about certain bills being passed. How do you keep track of that? And okay. I, I know it's important for, for <laughs> you and your job. So it's very important. Um, being a part of local organizations, um, staying active. For Texas, there's two groups, um, CFAR, which is Citizens for Appraisal Reform, and uh, TAPTAP, which is Texas Association of Property Tax Professionals that are tracking this legislation. Just the other day, they're talking about doing away with business personal property tax, which would, um, for those that are developing, it may be good for them uh, because all of the materials that are being used to to build the assets, the the cranes, um, all the equipment, that stuff gets taxed. And so if that stuff's not being taxed, those savings could be passed on to to the owners of those assets, to their clients, because now their holding costs on those assets are lower. Interesting. Um, so, you know, but that would mean the real estate tax would see an increase, which would not be good for the for some of these owners. Um, they probably would rather ha- pay a little bit higher in those costs than the real estate tax. Depends but, on um, the strategy. Yeah. <laughs> depends on the strategy. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, you know, it's keeping up like in California, there's a split role initiative. So basically California has some of the worst laws uh, for property tax, depending on your view right. uh, for economic development. They're pretty poor. If you're a real estate owner, they're pretty great because it's capped at um, they're capped, so they can only increase so much of commercial properties. You know that your um, assets only going up 2% each year, max. Um, 2% or zero or lower if it's a if the economy's you know in a downturn. But wow. in the past decade, if you've held for that whole time, it's only been able to go up 2% a year. That's so you have a tremendous compared to Texas. Asset. Yeah, <laughs> Texas where wow. he, there's no limit. There's no limit, and so. Um, if it, like they do the split role, then when typically right now, let me backtrack on that. So typically right now with California, once you purchase an asset, it's a disclosure state. They're going to assess you at market value. Mm-hmm. So they're going to typically what you paid for it or if you have a good consultant, they'll get it for lower than that. Um, and then once it's there, hey, you know, it's only going up 2% until you sell it. And when you sell it to the next person, they're going to, you know, when they're underwriting it, they're going to look at. Okay, we're going to purchase it for this, so we're probably going to pay this much in taxes, and then taxes only increase, say, two percent a year. Yeah. But now, if they're if that split roll initiative, which is going to get voted on November 2020 in California, if that goes through, now when say you develop it, an asset, you lease it up, it's fully occupied, and you go to sell it, now those people that are underwriting that deal, it's probably going to take a little bit of a hit because they're going to be underwriting for more property taxes in future years. So when they're doing their discounted cash flow on it, they're going to have higher expenses in future years, um, assuming it's an up economy. 
is going to lead to a slightly lower all valuation of the property. Gotcha. Yeah, um, that's pretty amazing that they're able to project that out at 2% each year, 2% max each year. That's uh, That would help out quite a bit. Uh -huh, but, uh, you know, and then in Texas, yeah, we're, it's very difficult to underwrite it because there is no cap. It depends on right. how the assessor is feeling, you know, each year. Right. Um, but uh, one thing that we do have um, that I was a part of in helping is uh, now in Texas, there's a cap on how much an entity, so like a school district, um, a city, a county can increase the revenue each year. Typically, okay. it, without it being voted without a vote to going higher than that. So uh, without voter approval. So right now gotcha. it used to be 7%. So their budget can increase 7%. Year um, over year. Year over year uh, for the tax rate to go up okay. 7%, I should say. Now um, a ISD can only increase their revenue year over year by 2.5%, ex excluding um, new construction. And then a city and county can revenue can only go up three and a half percent each each year. The good news with that is so now theoretically, as values have gone up over the, like you know this past cycle, the NCs can just sit there and say, "Oh, well, uh, we're keeping our tax rates flat, and mm -hmm. um, so we're not increasing your taxes when in actuality they are because the right. the, the tax assessment the tax roll, which is the the assessed values, is set before the entities say what their tax rate is. So they'll gotcha. look at the tax roll and they'll say, OK, we have this much in property value. This is going to be our <clears throat> tax rate and this is going to be our revenue. And so they kind oh. of back into they're what they need. Yeah. So when they see the tax roll, say it goes up 10 percent and they keep their their roll, their tax rate flat. They say, oh, we didn't change any, We didn't change anything. But now they have 10 percent more um, revenue than they did last year. Right. Right. So yeah. now. <laughs> that cap on there exactly so now with that cap on there it's going to force them as values go up the rates will have to come down and gotcha. then as then as values go down they can increase rates their rate up. So they'll have an inverse relationship right so is there any certain state or states that certain are, are certain role models for taxing does texas follow any of the other states kind of tax laws are they fortunately no Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, so Texas or first state, there, there's really three main drivers of revenue, and that's um, an income tax, mm -hmm. sales tax and property tax. Mm -hmm. Texas doesn't have an income tax and they just voted to increase the threshold where you need two thirds uh, to vote uh, for an income tax where previously it was 50 percent. So an income tax is not looking likely. So. <laughs> So property tax is here to stay. So there's been some states, Arizona uh, was most recent to put a cap on their val on real estate values. So you'll have an assessed value, the capped value, which is the taxable value uh -huh. as well. So and it's capped at five per five percent a year. So say you buy an asset for a million dollars and then the appraisal district set assesses it for a million dollars because it's a disclosure state in Arizona. So then say two years later, they revalue the property and say you, you've done some work on it. You got a, a new tenant in there and they're paying more. Yeah. Um, so the, now the property's worth, say, $1.3 million. Well, 
it was a million dollars, so now they can only go up 5%. So now you're only at a million fifty. So there's a delta between that they're losing out on tax revenue. Right. And that tax revenue is going to have to come from either higher prop or higher income tax or higher sales tax. So right. either way, you're paying the taxes. It's just a matter of where they're going to get it. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if you have a good tax consultant, you should be paying less, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I guess what is your advice for someone looking to get into development, at least from a, a tax standpoint? Obviously, you want to get plugged in with a consultant that can help you out. Is there any other advice you'd give somebody? Yeah, just get in with your consultant and get in on the ground floor. You know, when, you, when you're looking at a deal, um, talk to them. Um, we'll do estimates. So if you're looking at a deal... Uh, to develop, we can do uh, tax estimates for you to project in future years. Um, you know, just with given the the right information, you know, of construction mm-hmm. costs and uh, when you plan to start, completion dates and such. And then, so that way, when you're going into a deal, you're better able, you're more prepared. There's no surprises on property taxes. Um, you know, you have an idea of where that's coming in, uh, just because that's going to be your biggest line item expense and on ownership of a building. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to affect your your net operating income the most as well. So find the consultant that you know and that you trust and has the time for you and uh, make them involved. Work them. All right. Well, what's what's your goal now? Yeah, You've got your real estate brokerage or you're about to. Right. Mm-hmm. And you've got your own. You're working as a. I'll be an independent property tax. Be an independent consultant. So what's yes. your what's your overall goal with with these two? The brokerage, I kind of just see it as a hobby. I just okay. love real estate. So in my free time, that's what I want to do. It's something I do to help friends and family. I don't really work on the brokerage side outside of people that I don't already know. On the weekends, I like going looking at houses. Like and if I if I have a, a friend or family member that's looking into purchasing or um, selling their home, I want to help them do that. I want to help them succeed. I want to help them move on to a, and, you know, say another house with a bigger family yeah. uh, or buying their first condo. Um, I want to help them with that. And I want them to invest and, and do well on them. And then with the real estate, you know, I just want to work with um, I just want to continue to grow, develop those relationships with my clients and work on fun, interesting projects. You know, I like I like working with the institutional investors. Um, so I just want to do more of that and continue to grow and, and continue to work. You know, I've worked Texas mainly, mm-hmm. um, but I've also got experience in 37 other states. Um, so just, <laughs> just, a get, few. just a few. <laughs> yeah. um, and so just being able to continue to uh, gain more experience and work with, with more clients um, on more projects and stay busy doing what gotcha. I love. Gotcha. So what what do you think has made you? What habit, I guess, has made you the most successful in doing what you do right now? My wife would probably say I, it's because I have a an authority or I don't know what the right word is for it. <laughs> but op, when someone tells me I, I, did not, I can't do something or they tell me no, I like to Complex. dig in. Complex. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, if you tell me, you no, know, Alex, you can't do that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find a way to do it. Um, yeah. And so with those assessments, you know, you go down to the assessor's office and say no. And then it's like, all right, game on. And yeah. so <laughs> let's let's go and let's let's figure out a way where 
where I win. And so I think just that competitive nature and not taking no for an answer and the negotiations, it's what's, what's helped me succeed. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I appreciate your time, man. It's, it's been fun. You know, most people don't say talking about taxes would be fun, but you love it so much. <laughs> it's, it, it makes it enjoyable to listen to. So I appreciate it's, it. It's, well, thank you, Matt. You know, uh, I'm just honored to be involved with, involved with you. You know, you're already an author. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Alex. Hello and welcome everyone. Thank you for joining the show. There's a lot to learn in this episode, so stay tuned. Alex Pace is a very good friend of mine and property tax advisor at Strategic Property Tax Advisors. On top of that, in his free time, he's also a real estate broker. His insight into tax advising is second to none. He is truly a student of the craft and and constantly stays apprised of current tax laws and legislation. With over 10 years of tax consulting experience, he brings a wealth of knowledge on the subject. Fermi works with Strategic Property Tax Advisors, has an expertise focused solely in commercial real estate. Strategic has a thorough understanding of commercial real estate complexities, and will work as an integral part of your team regarding property tax appeals, procedures, valuation, and even litigation support. In this episode, we're going to discuss the type of taxes a ground-up real estate developer might expect, what are some ways that developers could help to hedge their real estate tax burden, and what is so great about depreciation. And how can it be included in your overall tax strategy? So, as always, if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to the show and share with your friends. 
There will be more exciting conversations on the shows to come. So without further ado, let's start the show. <laughs> 